All right, Matthew chapter 23 today. And, and as I mentioned in the last few weeks, the intensity is growing. Uh, this is the week before Jesus' crucifixion. And so he is summing up a lot of things. I mean, while he's been gentle with the religious leaders and he's, he's spoken truth to them, but he's been very gentle. Uh, and even with the disciples, that he's been very gentle with them as well. It's coming down to the, to the wire and he wants them to understand certain things before he is crucified. And we see that here in, in chapter 23, while he's been in the temple, and he's still in the temple, speaking with the crowd that has gathered there, he, but he's been dealing directly with the religious leaders. They've been coming at him with all kinds of questions, trying to trap him in his words, trying to somehow cause division or get people to dismiss Jesus. None of that has worked. Jesus has just dismantled them every single time they've come at him. And it's not just the Pharisees, it's also the scribes, and they brought in the Hellenists, and anyone they could think of. And at the end of chapter 22, it just says, from that point on, no one asked him anything else. <laughs> they realized this is not working. That the more they spoke, Jesus would just speak truth to it, and the whole crowd would kind of go, ah, you know. <laughs> and so the religious leaders just looked worse and worse. Jesus made more sense and was bringing the truth that in a lot of ways had been hidden by the religious leaders, bringing it to light and handing it to the people, right? So in chapter 23, it's the continuation of the same scene. Again, there's not a break. Days haven't gone by. There's this, still this scene happening in the temple. But there's a big change that happens at this point that we'll see actually a couple changes uh, especially as Jesus deals with the religious leaders. Um, so let's pray, and we'll get into it. God, we thank you, again, just for the power that's in your word, and that you want us to understand who you are. That you are not hiding your will from us. You're not hiding your character from us. But you have made yourself open and, and clear through your word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw us nearer to you today. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So starting in verse 1, chapter 23. It says, then, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works for they say and do not do for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers but all of their works they do to be seen by men they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments they love the best places at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. And do not call anyone on earth Father, for one is your Father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you 
shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who is humbled, or he who humbles himself, will be exalted. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. And this is one of the big changes that happens here. He's been speaking to the religious leaders while the crowd has overheard. Now, he's done with the religious leaders. He's not speaking to them anymore. Now he sets his focus completely upon the crowd. Now, the religious leaders haven't gone anywhere. They're still right there. They're, t- they're hearing all the things that he's saying, and he is not pulling any punches. Through this whole chapter, he hits them with some very hard truths. But he's not dealing with them and their questions and, and their, their issues and all of that. Um, they have shown they're not interested in humility. They're not interested in repenting. And so he speaks to the people who are interested. Now, I also think it's important that though he's done with them, and he would be perfectly right to just go, these guys are horrible in every way. <laughs> he does make a point of saying, look, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the place of Moses, meaning they have been set in a place of authority over you. And he shows respect to that office. Even those who are, those who are in it are completely corrupt in what they have done. The idea of being in the place or the seat of Moses was that you would have the heart of Moses to serve the people. Moses is a great example. Moses, first of all, was not perfect. He made mistakes, some big ones. But when it came to his calling, he was called to be the messenger of God to God's people. That he would sit before the Lord take in the law, take in the instruction, and then deliver it to the people, right? That is one of the main jobs of any spiritual leader, any Christian leader, any godly leader, is to first take in from the Lord, apply it to yourself, and give it out to the people. And along with that, the other part of Moses' job was that he was the intercessor for the people. That he stood before God on their behalf. So he would take the needs of the people, whatever it might be, and he would bring it before the Lord and go, this is what the people need. This is what the people lack. And he would let his heart break for the people. And it's one of those things that is amazing that, that when... Moses, you see him when he's in, a, in the right place with the Lord, that he is just that, the intercessor of the people. He is the one going, man, Lord, please, if you must punish anyone, punish me and spare these people. And when he's not in a, in a good spot, then he is cursing the people and he's misrepresenting the Lord. Right? The office of that leadership still deserves respect, even when the people who are in there are there for the wrong reasons or serving themselves, whatever it might be, the office still deserves respect. And I think this is very applicable in our day and age. There are plenty of offices of authority over us that we go, I don't like those people. (laughs) 
And it's easy to go, and therefore the office has no meaning to me. And we need to be those that go, no, the office still is a place of respect. And though I don't understand it, I have the promise of the word of God that he places kings upon their thrones. He puts those people in leadership that I don't understand. He has a purpose for it. And therefore, though I may not approve of them personally, their lives, their policies, the office deserves respect. And, and we need to be careful of that. Again, I think we, we're, we are a nation of rebels. <laughs> and that says a lot coming from my Irish background, which are also a nation of rebels that came here to rebel again. And, and, and so we tend to just throw off authority very easily. And, and I love how Jesus draws this line between respecting that place, but also knowing where that line is drawn with who they are. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, observe, or whatever they tell you to observe, that observe, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So the Pharisees lay down a law, and, and they would point to the, the Scriptures and go, look, this is the law of Moses. And, and, and really what Jesus is pointing to is don't dismiss the law because the people who are in authority are corrupt. The law is still the law. Be a person that holds to the word of God. Be a person that, that is, is looking to that, not letting them get in the way of it. Um, that when they quote from the scriptures, they're actually doing their job, whatever their motive is. And so for the, your love for the Lord and your respect for the office, then do it. But don't do it like they do. (laughs) Don't walk according to their walk. Because they say what's to be done, but they don't do it. Don't emulate their lives. Again, a lot of application of that in the political realm. But I think it's more important when it comes to those things of of spiritual matters, of godly matters, of, of following the word of God. That we would not allow wicked people or people with wicked motives to distract us from the truth that is in the Word of God. And whether that's politics, or whether that's Christian leaders, or whatever it might be, and how often have we heard that? Maybe we've even at times said that, the reason I don't go to church anymore is because that person hurt my feelings. What we're doing is we're letting that person get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. We're letting that person and their bad motives Take me away from the word of God. Can't do that. We just can't do that. We've got to be people that are holding tightly to the word of God. Now, again, Jesus points to these leaders, and I I think there's a lot of application for us in this as well. Um, But pointing to the scribes and the Pharisees of, of how they're happy to bind heavy burdens, but they themselves won't lift a finger. Man, they will put the weight of the law and your responsibility and what you should do. And they certainly went way beyond Scripture. They they wrote all kinds of law on top of the law and came up with all kinds of traditions that weren't supposed to be there. Um, And really, they would do it the same way people do it today, is that they motivate through guilt and fear. If you really loved the Lord, you would do this. If you really loved the Lord, if you really had faith, you'd give more. You, you'd, you'd, you'd give until it hurts. All of that, you know, we've all heard that. And, and that guilt and that manipulation 
It works in the short term. It's very effective. But it burns people out quickly. And, and again, I think more than anything, it just misrepresents the heart of the Lord. It's the very opposite of, of who the Lord is about. I think very often, though, people will do that because they want to please the Lord. Because, because the pastor or leader says, well, if you did this, that would please the Lord. If you gave more, served more, did more, that would please the Lord. And people are like, well, I want to please the Lord. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. The problem is, is that they don't understand what the Lord really wants. That if we don't have a good handle on his character, if we don't know what Jesus is about, if we don't know what God the Father requires, then it's really easy for any leader to misrepresent that. Oh, God wants you to give more. God wants you to do more. Oh, okay. But if we understand the only thing that the Father wants from us is to follow the Son. That makes it so easy. That we would be people that are desiring more than anything else to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit says to me, hey, give more, do more, I've got something else for you, you're going to love this, believe it or not, you're going to love it. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. But it's not manipulation from men. It's not manipulation from some leadership trying to get us to do more. People will gladly burden our lives down with what they think we should do. Even good-intentioned people can do that. But I think we also need to be careful because we're very good at burdening ourselves down with things that maybe haven't come from anyone. Maybe no leader, no, no corrupt person is trying to weigh us down. We do a good job on our own. I should do this. I should pray more. I should read more. I, I should give more. And I'm such a bad person because I don't. And so we drag this heavy weight around that the Lord is going, I'm not asking that of you. We've done that to ourselves. This heavy burden that, that others will put on us or whether we put it on ourselves, I think it's really important for us to, to stop and ask where that's from. Because it's not from Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if our burden is heavy, if life feels heavy, if our faith, if walking and living for Jesus feels heavy, we've missed it. We're, we're, we've taken on something we shouldn't. We've allowed others to pile it upon us. And, and that is not that life of abundance the Lord has called us to. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And, and that is how we are to live. Um, now, Jesus also kind of shows this contrast here that while they're happy to throw a heavy workload on others, they themselves, what little work they do is, is for the show. It's for others to see. And verse 5 says, But all of their works they do to be seen by men, that they or they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. A phylactery was a small leather box and they, they would take these little tiny, tiny scrolls with scripture written on them and put it inside this leather little box that had a strap on it. And they would strap one to their forehead and one to their arm. 
And the intention of these things is great. The sim- the, they're symbolic and they're a reminder. Uh, and so the idea is, by having the Word of God on your head, you are under His covenant. You are under the Word of God. It is the authority over your life. To bear it on your arm is to bring it to other people. It's to, to bear that weight. And you can't help but also kind of tie in the armor of God, of the helmet and the shield, and, and it, it's really kind of a beautiful reminder. But rather than tiny little boxes, they made them large. <laughs> I'm more under the covenant than you. I, I bear more of the weight of the scripture than you. Right? Having the hem of their garments, or the, having the garments hemmed, the border, was meant to be a sign that they were under the law of Moses, or under carrying the, the law of Moses. And so they, rather than just having it subtle, it became wide and decorated and different color threads and all this stuff. And again, it was, I'm more under the covenant, more under the law than you. And, and, and people looked at that and went, wow, they're very spiritual. Look at how big the phylacteries are. Look at how wide the, the borders are. And it was all outward appearance, right? The priestly robes and garments became very ornate, very clear. You had no trouble seeing a priest from across the road, right, or in the marketplace, if they went there at all. It was all for show. And Jesus calls them out. You love the best seats at feasts and at weddings and in the synagogues. The best seats wasn't like the best view or the best service. The idea is that the place of honor. That when a table was set, the person at the right hand of the, the host was the place of honor. And so nobody had to know who you were, but if you, they walked into that dinner, or that feast or wedding, whatever it might be, they'd look at the table, they'd look at the host, and they'd look to the right and go, that's the most important person here. Now, if that guy also happened to be a scribe or a Pharisee with his robes and his phylacteries and all this stuff, wow, you know, <laughs> it was a big deal. And Jesus was just like, but that's all you're about. You want others to see, and you want others to think that you are so godly and so spiritual, and he's calling them out. You're not. You love to be called rabbi, teacher. And again, people would hear that. Oh, there's a rabbi here. Ooh. And they get, you know. And, and Jesus points out, this is what you love. You don't love people. You don't love God. You love this. You love to be recognized as teacher, as rabbi. They love to be exalted over others. It is funny, one of my twisted weird things is that when i and it's not very often just occasionally i'd say in in my years of ministry just a few people over those years i have run into that insist on being called pastor they'll call you on call me on the phone or i'll bump into there and they're like hi i'm pastor anthony and i'm like hey anthony what's up and they're like pastor anthony 
and I, and I got to tell you, at that point, I take so much joy in purposely not calling them pastor, <laughs> and if at all possible, to shorten their name. Tony. <laughs> why, why are you calling me, Tony? What can I do for you? Oh, you just hear the steam coming out of their ears, right? Nice people like you guys would just go, okay, we'll call you pastor, that's fine. And I'm like, never. <laughs> and I think part of it, or at least this is how I justify it, part of it is this right here, right? Especially, and, and there, are, there are titles I think require some respect. A person that has a PhD, they went to a lot of schools. A person that, you know, has, has put in a lot of work and they've received, you know, they're a professor or whatever. You're like, yeah, okay, professor. I probably wouldn't call him professor, but I understand it. But being a pastor, I'm like, I'm not impressed. And, and so I will purposely call them Tony, <laughs> which is funny when that's not their name at all. <laughs> but this is part of it, right? Because honestly, above all the other titles or, or things that you could have, pastor literally means servant or shepherd. So when somebody's bragging about it, you're like, you don't even know what it means. <laughs> For us, you know, again, there is a place to respect the office. But at the same time, I'm not going to allow somebody to exalt themselves over others with a title. And Jesus goes on in verse 8 and says, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now, it's important to understand, really, that the context is a little bit lost in the translation from Greek to English. The way Jesus is laying this out, it's not a sin to call somebody, say, your earthly father, father. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to call a teacher at school, teacher, that's fine. And we even see the Apostle Paul refer to himself as the father over those people he's led to the Lord and the teacher of, of the word of God to them. And so we know that's not what's being said here. The idea is that we should not look to any person as the final authority. Now, when it comes to the truth of the word of God, it is the Christ that we must follow and no one else. But no person can, can tell you, oh, well, this is what the Bible says, and I've got the final authority because I'm a pastor. No, we're all brethren. We're all fallen. And we're all broken. And, and we are to have no one over us as a final authority except for Jesus Christ himself. There's no earthly father, no, ma no matter how good our earthly father could be, that could show us a better example of love and sacrifice and strength. And so our Heavenly Father is the final authority in those things. And the Holy Spirit working in us to understand those things. And, and you can kind of look at it and go, well, how can the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all be the final authority? Because they are all in perfect unity together. We would never have to go, well... Jesus says this, but the Holy Spirit says that, so who am I going to listen to? 
No, they're all on the same page. They will never contradict each other. They will never contradict the word. They are in perfect alignment. A final authority for our lives. All things have been given to us for life and godliness in them and through his word. And Jesus warns that we are to be careful not to let anyone else have that place of authority and not to let anyone put us in that place of authority. He says, don't let yourself be called rabbi or teacher. And again, people will refer to me as a Bible teacher. That's not the thing. But it's that don't let anyone look at you as though you're the final authority on, on the word of God. Anybody that would take that on, just by doing it, they are contradicting the words of Jesus, which shows they cannot be trusted. And they desire to exalt themselves over you and over others, and again, we can't let that happen. But in order to know whether or not somebody's contradicting Jesus, again, it comes back to us knowing him. Knowing his word, being grounded in it. And sometimes you can't even quote chapter and verse. It's actually one of, the, one of my favorite things about the Holy Spirit is that somebody will say something, and it sounds right, but there is just like this lead bell. There's like, I always think like red light, green light, you know, and, and like the kids game, and, and you get that red light, and you're like, why am, why am I getting the red light on that? It sounds right. And the Holy Spirit just says, no, that's wrong. I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay. And sure enough, later on, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I got it, right? And he shows you in Scripture or just reveals it to your spirit. And, and I love it. And, and we need to be those. That, that's the authority we're looking to. That's the person we're, we're looking to. Now, the other thing I love about what Jesus does here, and we've seen him do this with the disciples as well, is he doesn't rebuke people for wanting greatness. He shows them how to be great. You want to be great? You want to be famous in heaven? You want people to know that you are living for God? Be the servant of all. That's greatness. That's what makes heaven look down upon our lives and go, that guy's great. That girl's great. The servant of all. The one that humbles themselves, that, that takes the lowest place. That's who God will exalt. But the one who's all about their title and their privilege and their power and who they are, it's just a matter of time they'll be brought low. All right, verse 13. Jesus really turns up the heat here. Starting verse 13, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel the land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice a month twice as much of a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. 
fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies it, or that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears, the, uh, excuse me, therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and he who sits on it. Jesus brings these direct rebukes against the scribes and the Pharisees. And again, he's not out in some mountaintop. He's not out by the seashore with the masses of people. He's in the temple. All these guys are still right there. And I imagine the scribes and Pharisees must be red in the face and steam coming out of their ears as Jesus is just like, and let me tell you what else you're doing wrong, because that's what these are. That he's just like, and you've misrepresented God here, and your priorities are off there. And he's just doing the laundry list of how far off they are. And again, all in front of the people there in the temple. He says, woe to you, hypocrites. The word woe, it doesn't quite translate right or as deep as it should. It means dread and fear. It is a word that is also usually associated with grief. That when you would say woe to somebody, it was like they were on their deathbed. Fear and grief and mourning on my part for you. And so Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees going, I grieve for what's ahead for you. Fear and mourning and dread. He calls them hypocrites. Now that's a word we know, we use and hear. Um, and we usually simply just think of it, it's a person who says one thing and does another. Well, that's true. But literally, the word, the Greek word that's used here for hypocrites, it means a pretender or a stage actor. That they are carrying out a role that is completely made up. It's not who they are at all. It, it is absolute pretense on their part. And it's a really great description of what's going on with these guys. Because while they talk about Scripture and they talk about truth and they pretend to care about people and they pretend to care about God and be interested in the things of heaven, the reality is they're not. They're pretending. It's all an act. They're putting it on like putting on a show for the people that they are around. And they travel far and wide to make converts. And Jesus says that when you do make one, they end up being twice the son of hell that you are. Again, there is no nice way to say that. There's no tone that Jesus could have used where it's like, well, maybe he meant it in a nice way. Nope. And the, the idea is, well, yes, there is a corruption that's passed on it's like if you guys weren't far enough off track you make them twice as far off track in every way it's compounding every generation to get worse and worse and worse now i find this interesting again because we can just look at this and go oh those pharisees and scribes and they're horrible and so glad they're not around today but understand that we have our own set that live around all, all over the world today. 
the different groups and cults and false religions are doing this exact same thing. That they come off with this good morals and being good people in society and having good standards. And, and a lot of times we look at them and go, they're nice people. And they are. It's not, not an act on that part of it. But because they're selling a false truth, that, and it all comes down to the same, that they are attempting to earn their way to heaven by works. And some people say, well, yeah, but they're not far off. They miss heaven. That's as far off as you get. You can be good people, and if, if you are shooting towards heaven and completely miss it, yeah, then you've done no good. And when they make a convert, though they might be sincere and though they might be kind and they might teach them to be good members of society as well, if those people miss heaven as well, they have actually blocked the way for them. And it's heartbreaking. Jesus speaks to the religious leaders then and says, you guys aren't entering yourselves and you're keeping those who, who want to enter, you're keeping them from entering. Right? And this is what it is. It's teaching this whole works-based, well, you don't need Jesus, and you don't need to be saved. Saved from what? You can do it on your own. Just be a good, better person, and we'll teach you how. They're not entering themselves, and they're keeping others from entering as well by selling them a lie. And, and that is no small thing. In fact, Jesus says that they will receive a greater condemnation. Because it isn't done out of ignorance. It isn't done, it's, it's looking at the things of God, it's looking at the things of Scripture, tweaking it to something else, and, and purposely going in that wrong direction, and teaching other people to go in that wrong direction. When we think about condemnation, the word that's used there, it's, it, he's speaking of eternal punishment. He's not just punishment for the day or, or natural consequences for wrong decisions. It's an eternal punishment that he's talking about. And, and it's something we don't know a lot about on either side because we've got, here Jesus speaks of a greater punishment in hell. Well, no one in hell is ever going to have a good day. It's not someplace where anyone will rule. You know, the idea that Satan and the demons will rule and people will be punished there, that is not what hell is for. Hell was created for the devil and the demons. No one will have a good day there, but some people will have worse days. There are degrees of it. And it's the opposite of what we find with heaven, that there are degrees of reward. And again, we don't fully understand what that's about. That, that we, it's related to us as mansions and crowns, or being able to understand or have a deeper grip of God's glory, that these are rewards where we go, but I don't quite know what that means. There are different rewards in heaven. In the same way, there are greater punishments in hell. And Jesus makes a point of that those that purposely lead people away will receive a greater condemnation. Jesus also mentions that they devour widows' houses. And there's a contrast there because he's like, you devour widows' houses. In other words, you take advantage of the weak and those who are needy and get all you can out of them until you've devoured what little they have. But then you make these big, long prayers that sound so spiritual and so deep and, and are so poetic, and everyone's impressed by them. I remember when Candy and I first got saved, we were in this 
little church, and, and we just loved it. It was like this little family, and the pastor and his wife just spent so much time discipling us. But there was this one guy, and he prayed in King James. And I was like, that is so spiritual, you know. God probably doesn't hear me at all because that guy, he's using the these and the thous and the barelys, and I'm going to have to learn some of that stuff, right? Luckily, the pastor's like, no, you don't. <laughs> don't pray like that guy. <laughs> because again, we can be a person that it's, it's for the show. Jesus is making it clear, look, that's not what the Lord is interested in. And in verse, starting in verse 16, he, he brings this whole thing, and it can be a little bit confusing because Jesus is talking about making an oath or swearing upon certain parts of the temple. This is a big thing for the scribes and the Pharisees, is that this is how a binding contract would often be made, is by what you promised by, right? I swear on a stack of Bibles is what people say today, but back then it was like, I swear by the altar of the temple. People were like, whoa. And then they had turned this into a whole set of rules. Well, the altar, that's not really important. But if you swear upon the gift that's on the altar, that is binding. Ooh, okay. Well, if you swear upon the temple, that's not a big deal. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, that's a big deal. And Jesus points it out that how, really, he just brings it out to say, this is how messed up your priorities are. This is how far off you are. Because, interestingly enough, the sacrifice upon the altar and the gold that was given to the temple, they got a cut of it. The religious leaders, they got part of that. And so it was easy to promote, that's what the Lord wants. That's really what was happening there. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 5, don't swear by anything. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And so he's not backing up on that at all, but he's just using this to show how messed up their priorities are and how far off track they have have gotten now again we're kind of stopping right in the middle of all of this as we come to the end only doing half the chapter today but i think there's some great things here again as, as we look at our own lives because more than any temple that was ever built more than the gold in it more than the altar upon it all of those things pointed forward to jesus sacrifice for us and that now we've become the temple. And so even as he says, what's greater? Gold? No, it's going to go. Even the temple. Right after this, Matthew 24, he's like, this is all going to come down. This is the temple he's desired. This is where he dwells now. The sacrifice. Not the animals. Not the things upon the altar. The cross. The greatest sacrifice ever. And that by that work, we have no other authority over us than the Christ. That his father has become our father. We've been adopted into his family. We're the treasure that he has come after to save. When we understand that his kingdom of heaven is now our home, then the things of this life, titles of people, treasures of earth, power that we could ever achieve, it's so, it's so significant, insignificant, so small in comparison to the kingdom that is our home, that heaven's still ahead of us. And, uh, and the Lord 
has, has done all this for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your great love for us, that you are our Father. Jesus, that you are our teacher, that you are the one that wants to reveal who you are to us. And God, though we want to be people that honor you, that respect the authority that you've placed over us, even in an earthly sense, Lord, that you are the final authority in all things. May we continually bow our knee to you, give our lives back to you, that you would do whatever you wish with us, with this church, in Jesus' name. Amen.